Thanks, Jess. Well, good morning. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for joining us on this Sunday. I know that um, this is a special weekend, holiday weekend, a race weekend, a lot of people traveling, a lot of people at the racetrack. Uh, so thanks for coming this morning and worshiping with us. And yeah, I think, you know, these are the kind of weeks that we experience where, you know, if you live in this area, it's like the whole month of May. It's kind of like a celebration, you know, like we're, we're looking forward to this weekend. Uh, there's a lot of fun things to do. And even like on Friday, I was at the racetrack. Uh, having a good time, um, enjoying the festivities. And then it's like kind of in the middle of that, you're jerked back into reality that uh, this world, we live in that tension of both experiencing good things and fun things and and happiness um, and joy. And at the same time, we live right alongside of evil and of sin and uh, we experience mourning and grief and sadness. And those that's a hard tension to live in, and sometimes, like we did this morning, the only thing we can do is just come before the Lord and just say, we don't know what to do, and just ask him to intervene, and so thanks, Jess, for doing that. Um, in the midst of this holiday weekend, this is also graduation season, right? And I know that probably uh, you all have either at this point been to graduations, you've been to open houses, maybe you have friends and family um, who have kids that are graduating high school, friends who are graduating college. I know we even have some couples this weekend that are traveling because of graduation festivities and, and events in their family. Um, and these are the the se- this is the season for those who are you know graduating high school, graduating college, uh, graduate school, moving on to those next things in life. And and if you've been there before, you probably uh, are familiar with these kind of life existential, uh, deeper questions that we ask of ourselves in these moments. Like, who am I? What do I want to be? What kind of life? do I want to have? Um, And even if we can't answer those questions specifically, we know how to answer in the negative, right? We know, we may not know what we want, but we do know what we don't want, right? Like we can say, I may not know what I want my life to be, but I know that I don't want to be a failure. I know that I don't want to waste the opportunities that I've been given. I know that I don't want my life to hurt uh, other people. I know that I don't want to make bad decisions with my life. And so I want to ask you this morning, you know, if somebody came to you and said, we want you to give the commencement address at a local high school or at a college and talk to these graduates about life, to give them a perspective on life, what would you tell these graduates about how to live? What would you tell them about how to avoid that failure, that waste, the hurt, the bad decisions that they could make? What would you tell them about how to live a life of success, a life of meaning, a life of happiness? And would what you tell them reflect your own life? Would you be able to speak from experience? This morning we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 7. 
it's probably one of the more specific and 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 well-known stories and teachings of Jesus. It's something that when you're a little kid, you sing songs about it, you paint pictures about it, you do crafts about it if you grow up in church. And it's a very stark contrast. And what we've seen in Matthew chapter 7, as Jesus closes this Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is teaching and closing and trying to apply the things that he has said to the lives of his hearers by giving them specific either-or contrast to get their attention. If you're using the Bible around you, you can find that on page 474. The end of Matthew chapter 7. Let me read this, verses 24 through 27. Jesus speaking, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. It's the word of the Lord. A series of contrasts that Jesus makes here. We looked last week at the two ways, the two gates that people could enter in and go down. A few weeks ago, we looked at these two claims that people make about, uh, Lord, I've done this, and, and I know you. But in reality, they didn't. Next week, we're going to look at these two kinds of trees that Jesus talks about. Again, grabbing the attention of his listeners. He wants us this morning to sit up and listen. He wants us to step back for a second and do some personal reflection. And what we've seen in these verses that I just read is that the focus of what Jesus wants us to hear this morning is a life of wisdom. Wisdom. Now, when you hear the word wisdom, what comes to mind? Is it a certain person? Maybe you, somebody that you know in your life. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's an aunt and uncle. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a, another member of the community that you grow in, grow, grew up in. When you think of somebody who is wise, you picture that person. How would you define what wisdom is? What does it mean to be wise? Does it mean you have white hair? <laughs> Does it mean you, uh, you respond to everything in life with like these short little pithy statements? What does it mean to be wise? And I think when you look through the pages of Scripture, the, the Bible talks over and over and over about being wise. That it's not something, it's not enough just to say, well, I'm spiritual. Or that I know the Bible or that I do this, or that I do that. The scripture from start to finish is 
continually calling us into a life of wisdom. So what is wisdom? And who is wise? It's someone who's learned to practice, through practice, to live with discernment. It's someone who knows what's true and puts what's true into real life practice. Sometimes we think of wisdom as somebody who just knows a lot of good stuff. Who knows the difference between right and wrong. Who knows how to speak in certain situations. But what we're going to see this morning is that is not what true wisdom is. And that is not the kind of life that Jesus is calling us into here. That true wisdom is is not only knowing what is right and knowing what is true. But it's living it in real life. The contrast here is between people who are wise and people who are not. And I want to make a few observations about this. The first thing that we see is that Jesus distinguishes the wise from the foolish, not by outward construction or appearance, does he? The contrast here does not have anything to do with what the house looks like on the outside. It's beautiful style and architecture. Jesus doesn't talk about that. It's, it's smart home capabilities. Jesus doesn't talk about that. It's, it's modern and innovative appliances. Jesus doesn't talk about that. What does Jesus say? What is the contrast? It's the contrast of foundations. It's what the house is built on. What's underneath the surface. What only the builder can see and only what the builder knows about. And man, we've seen this, right? Like you've heard stories of this. We have this in our own cities. Houses that look amazing. And someone buys it and thinks that they're getting a gym only to find out soon after that the foundation was bad. That the house looked great on the outside. There was so much potential but it was built wrong. And the amount of money and the amount of, of, of uh, disaster, potential disaster that is wrapped up in that. Jesus is, is making the contrast between two different foundations. And that's a temptation for us, right? Because we are so tempted to look on the outside when we look at other people's lives, when we think about our own life, we, think, we see people that catch our eye, people that are wealthy, people that have job security, people who, have, who run in certain circles of friends and, and associates and acquaintances. We see people post about their lives on social media, and it's a, it's a very specifically curated version of their lives, right? We see people in ministry positions that have titles, that have been given certain opportunities. And we look at these things and we are tempted to believe because of what we see on the outside that that person must be living right. That that person must know what's up. 
They must have a key to success. They must know how to live because there's no other way that they could have that kind of life. But as we've seen through this sermon, who is Jesus contrasting with the most? The people that his listeners would have looked at to say that is what God wants. That is what we're supposed to be. It was the religious leaders of the day, wasn't it? The Pharisees, the people that on the outside looked like they had it all together, looked like they were living a life that God approved of. I mean, they were rich. They were respected. They dressed in fine clothes. They had the best seat at the table. How could they not be blessed by God? How could they not be the real deal? But what Jesus is calling us to here is to see a different kind of righteousness, right? A righteousness like we talked about last week. A righteousness that doesn't just stop on the outside, but it's a whole person righteousness. It's a righteousness that reflects all of who we are from the inside out. It's seeing in practice the transformation that's going on. On the inside. So the first thing that we need to see here is that wise and foolish aren't distinguished by outward construction or appearance. The second thing that we see is that wise and foolish aren't distinguished by what they know, but by what they do. Not by what they know, but by what they do. Because it's easy for us in this churchy, Christian-y context to think that what really should define us, what really should matter to us, is what we know and what we believe, right? That if we have good doctrine, if our, our theology is sound, that, that if we know what to say and when to say it, that if we have certain degrees from a seminary or a Bible college, that if we, uh, people who are writing books or being asked to speak at conferences, that those, that that is the measure of what God really desires. And I'm not against those things by any means. Those are good things. Those are good things. But what we see here is that not just anything, fits into the life that Jesus calls wise. Jesus defines a life that is wise by not only what we know, but by what we do. And even when we talk about what we do, it's specific, right? It's not just doing anything. Look back in the passage before this. Jesus uh, talks about uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who does what? The will of my Father. And look what he goes on to say, that there will be people who will come at that final day and say, hey, but God, look what I did. I mean, I prophesied in your name. I preached some great sermons. I did miraculous things. I healed people in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I did some stuff that was super legit that people thought, man, I, this is the standard of spirituality. And what does Jesus say? I didn't really know you. Despite what they did. 
and how good it looked and how powerful it was, Jesus says, I don't really know you. Why? Because it wasn't the will of his father. And let's dive into that for a second. Not just doing anything is what Jesus is talking about here. Even the doing that looks good. Looking good. Looking like it's God honoring. Jesus says here that wise people, that foolish people, are distinguished by doing His words. His words. Look at that in verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine. So Jesus is narrowing the scope of what it means to do the will of the Father. It's not something that we define. It's not something that we decide. Jesus says, you do the will of my Father when you do the things that I say. And that's hard to say. That's hard to hear, isn't it? Because Jesus is making a very exclusive claim here. Jesus is saying, I know what God desires. Jesus is saying, I know the kind of life that you really want. And I'm telling you right here. I'm telling you what that is. And I think we can sometimes get caught up in a culture of God language. That we can do what we want to do. We can live the way we want to live. And we can attach God's name to it, right? We can say, well, God approves of this. Or we can say, this is what God wants me to do. This is the way God wants me to live. And then we can bring God into it. And say, the choices that I'm making, the life that I'm choosing to live, God must approve of that. And we can even listen to good podcasts, good TED Talks, you know. We can read great blogs and books. But what we need to understand and what Jesus is saying here is that the only way to live, the only wisdom that there is, is by doing the words of Jesus. And so as we think about our lives, we think about the information that we're taking in. We think about who is crafting and directing the choices that we make, the way that we think about the world, how we're, how we're progressing in our career, the goals that we have, the dreams that we have. We should be getting input from people. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's a lot of great people that we can listen to and books that we can read and opportunities that we can take advantage of. But the test of whether or not it will really bring us life is to put it right against Jesus' words and ask, are these really wise? Will they really build a good foundation? We don't reject everything and just say, well, if it's not in the Bible, then I'm not going to listen to it. But everything that we do get, the input, the information, the, the counsel, the advice, Jesus says, take it to my words. 
put it up against my words. Let my words be the litmus test of whether or not this is really good and, and whether or not this will really bring you the life that you want and the life that God desires for you. And the last observation I want to make here is that wise and foolish people are distinguished by how their lives stand up in the storm. Wise and foolish people are distinguished by how their lives stand up in the storm. Would you turn with me to James chapter 1? Take a right in your Bible. When you get to kind of the bigger book of Hebrews, James is the next one. James is an amazing letter because James was the half-brother of Jesus. And what we recognize uh, from Scripture, from James's own account, is that he didn't fully realize who Jesus was until after Jesus had already left. But here was a man who grew up with Jesus in the same house, who knew what Jesus Said, who knew what Jesus lived. And if you read the book of James, it's a book about living the words of Jesus. It's about doing what Jesus said to do. And in verse 2, James writes this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, man, what James is saying here is radical. Because what James is encouraging us to do is the exact opposite of what we want to do. And it makes absolutely no sense at all. Because James says instead of running away from difficult things, instead of spending our entire life crafting an existence that allows us to avoid anything that's uncomfortable, anything that's hard, anything that challenges our sense of security, instead of breezing through life thinking that we are untouchable, we need to know, number one, that trials and hard things and suffering will come. There is none of us No one in this room is exempt from hard things in this life. And some of you in this room have experienced that this week. You've experienced that this weekend. You've experienced that this morning. Hard things will come. Difficult things will come. Trials things that bring us to the end of our our being things that show us our limits will come. Instead of losing hope, instead of sinking into despair, James says, think about it like this, that God is shaping and molding and sculpting a more robust faith through the hardest things that you and I face in this life. 
What James is not saying here is that we shouldn't grieve. That we shouldn't mourn. That we shouldn't accept pain and allow ourselves to feel that. James is not saying that we should live in a reality where we just put on a smile and say, Jesus loves me and so everything's okay. But what James is encouraging us to do here is not to lose hope. When the storms of life hit us, when the winds and the waves crash against us, James says that there is hope, that there is freedom from despair, that God will be with you, that God is transforming you into the best version of you. The you that he desires, the you that if you knew what God knew about you, is the one that you would want to be. But look, on, but look down with me at verse 19. It doesn't just happen automatically. We don't, we don't experience this without thinking about it. James says there's something to do here. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, what's the promise? He will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. James is encouraging us when we suffer in this life, when we are persecuted in this life, when we feel the walls of this life closing in on us, when our security, when our comfort is threatened, when our dreams begin to crumble before our eyes. What are we tempted to do? I don't know about you, but I see myself in this passage. Because when I experience these kinds of things, when I experience the weight of this life, I don't want to listen to others. I don't want to listen to God. I want to get angry at God. I want to get angry at this life. I want to get angry at other people who are not allowing me to live the life that I want to live. I want to spout off about what I deserve and who can shove it and how God should be responding to me in this circumstance. I don't know about you, but that's me. That's how I respond. That's what I want to do. I want to say, what's the point? What's the point of following God if this is what life is going to be like? Maybe I should just give in. Maybe I should just do what I really want to do. Maybe I should just say what I really want to say. It's easier for me 
to turn away from God because I don't have the strength to press in. I don't have what it takes to trust that God is still good. Sometimes we read these words of James kind of in a vacuum. But when you read what he says here about uh, uh, being, being uh, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to, to get angry, when we read that in the context of trials and sufferings and storms and winds and waves beating against the house of our lives, we begin to see that, yeah, that's how I want to respond. That's the natural response when things go wrong in my life. We tend to believe that God really won't give us what we want. We tend to doubt that God is really who he says he is. And James says if we react to our lives in this kind of way, we allow our anger to control us, our selfishness to drive us, our weakness to be the thing that defines us, that we will not experience the righteousness that God desires. That righteousness that Jesus has been teaching us about. That righteousness that is all of us being offered up to God. All of who I am all of what I desire, all of what I want, all of my life being offered up to God to be transformed from the inside out. James says the way that we experience the righteousness of God, the righteousness that will save our lives, that when the winds and the waves come and they beat on our house, the righteousness that will allow us to stand firm in the storm is to hear the word and to do the word. To hear the words of Jesus and to do it. That is a life of wisdom. That is a house that is built on the rock. Do what Jesus says. Live like Jesus lived. When it seems like it's not worth it, do what Jesus says. When you're persecuted for it, still do what Jesus says. When culture seeks to pull us away from it, do what Jesus says. This is our way of life in this world. This is our way of being. And James says, in, in unison with Jesus, that when we hear his words and when we do them, we will find blessing. Right? That's the beginning of Jesus' sermon. This is the way to live. If you want to live a good life, you want to be happy, you want to succeed, you want your, your life to prosper. You want to be blessed. Then hear these words and do them. I think when we get to this point, we can have several different responses. The first is this. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do what you say, Jesus. Um, and we religiously comply, right? It's like, okay, um, all right, I guess I better start coming to church more. 
uh, I'm going to start praying more, start reading my Bible more, start serving, volunteering more. Um, I'm just going to grip my teeth. Uh, I'm going to try as hard as I can. Um, I'm going to check off all the boxes. And why do we do that? Because it makes us feel good, right? We feel like we're accomplishing something. We feel like the things that we are doing are right. And they are good things. All of those things that I mentioned are good things. They're things that God desires. But when we, when we hear Jesus say, listen to my words and do them. So many of us can go into religious go mode. Where we just start doing stuff. And we just start checking off our boxes. And we just start jumping through our hoops. Because it allows us to see what we have done. It allows us to feel good about ourselves. It allows other people to see what we have done and say good things about us. And Jesus says, as we have seen over and over and over here, that we are deceiving ourselves that everything is okay. Because that's what the Pharisees did. They did lots of good things. They knew a lot of good stuff. But over and over again, Jesus reminded his listeners and he reminds us that what God wants is not simply a life of outward religiosity. There's something more. The other response that we can have, and we would probably never say it this bluntly, is we hear the words of Jesus. And Jesus say, do these things and you will be wise. And in our minds, we say, hmm, that's interesting. But I think I'll do my own thing. That sounds good, Jesus. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think I got this. I think I know what is good for my life. And we tip our hats to Jesus. And we say, yeah, that sounds great. And we nod our heads. And we say, that's good. But the undercurrent of our own dreams for our lives, our own desires for what we want to experience and what we want to do are stronger than the words of Jesus. The pull of what my family thinks. The pull of what my coworkers and my bosses want for me. What is your rock? That's the question for us this morning. When you think of your life, every single one of us in this room is building a house. We are building a house. We are making a life with our decisions about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we, what we put our energies toward, the relationships that we have with each other, who we're friends with, who we stay away from, the, the dreams and the goals that we have for our lives. We are all building a house. Every single day we wake up, we are nailing another board. Every single day that we wake up, with every decision that we make, we're laying carpet or hardwoods. That's more popular now. We're hanging pictures. We're moving into a house and we're making a home there. And Jesus' question here for us today is what is our foundation? What is that house built on?
comfort, security, prosperity, and success, those make terrible foundations because they're weak, they're sandy, they're unstable. And when the waves of life hit us, they'll be washed away. They look solid, but they will crumble under the weight of life. The invitation this morning to us in this room, the invitation of Jesus is to experience the good life. To experience a life where we will find security. Where we will find safety. Where we will experience prosperity and success. Because it's a life that is built on the foundation of Jesus. What he says is good. And how he says to live. There's a future element to this as well. Because one day we will all stand before God. And the storm of God's judgment of our lives will hit us. And we see here that the righteous will endure that storm. The righteous will endure God's judgment. Because when we stand before God, God will see who we really are. God will see past the veneer. God will see past the great outward appearance. And all that will matter is who we really are. Are we people who have been transformed by the grace and the mercy of God? The do-gooders, the religious, the people whose outward practice is all there is about them, they won't stand. They won't survive. But those who hear the words of Jesus, who know the words of Jesus, who do the words of Jesus, will because they have experienced the transformation of Jesus. And I keep getting back to this over and over again. But the life that God desires for us, the righteousness that God truly wants, is a righteousness that is all of who we are. Being transformed from the inside out. That's a wise life. That's a life that will bring us happiness. That's a life that will be blessed. And this morning, the invitation to each of us is to come and to experience that kind of life. To hear the words of Jesus and to do them. When we take communion every single Sunday, we do it as a symbol that we are a community of people who have been set apart by God in the storm. That we are a community of people who believe that building our foundation on Jesus is the only way to live. It's a reminder, not just for ourselves, but to all of us as we take this together that it is worth it. That we are committing to God and we are committing to each other to be people who live directed lives to God. 
that we are people who offer all of who we are, both the inside and the out, to Jesus Christ to be transformed. And it's a decision that we make. The reason that we do this every single week is that this is a decision that we make all the time. It's a decision that we will make over and over and over again in our lives. Who am I building my life on? Who is my rock? Who defines what goodness in my life really is? And so I want to invite you this morning, if that is you, if you are a believer in Jesus, which means that you have given up your own control of your life, your own ability to be right with God, to to determine what is good, to determine what is right, and you have put your faith in Jesus, I invite you to come and to tear a piece of the bread off, to dip it in in the juice, to proclaim to yourself and to proclaim to others in this room that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. That is our hope. That is our foundation. That is where we find our security. And if you're struggling with that this morning, that's something that you say, man, I just don't know. I don't know if that's what I believe. Then stay in your seat. That's okay. There's no judgment here. There's, there, there's, that's not awkward. This is a symbol. This is something that communicates who we really are. And so if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you more. But come and receive this this morning. Proclaim this to each other. Remind each other that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, that Christ will come again. And that is our rock in the storm. God, we do thank you. We thank you that we are not left to figure this out on our own. We thank you that wisdom is not just our ability to do what's right, but wisdom is hearing your words and doing them because we are being transformed by you. And so I pray that this morning you would give us uh, the appropriate amount of reflection in our lives to really evaluate, is this me? Is this how I'm living my life? What am I building my life on? And I pray that it would also at the same time give us comfort, that you are doing a work, that you are providing the power, that you are giving us the strength to weather the storms of life. We thank you for your mercy and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the hope that you've given us in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.